All right. Hey, guys. So Pastor Chris said I had 12 minutes. I preached this at home like four different times, and they were different every single time. So I don't know which version you're going to get, but you can get a cool version. Um, so today, you cannot let me stand up here and preach silently. Like, I, I need you guys talking back. You can say whatever you want. You can say, that's good. You can say, hey, that's for my, that's for my neighbor. They're tripping. You can say whatever you want, but I need you to say something. So I'm going to be in Exodus 13, and if you're taking notes, which if you do, you'll probably get into heaven. Exodus 13, we're going to go Exodus 13, 3 to 5. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a lot, so you really don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But Exodus 13, Verse 3, it says, and Moses said to the people, remember, everyone say remember. Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand, the Lord, everyone say the Lord, brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you were going out in the month of Bib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and the Parasites, and the, oh, I'm just fine. Uh, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing of milk and honey that you shall keep this service in this month. How many of you have ever been through a struggle before? Ever in your life? If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. You're wrong. Um, so this week, like everyone's been saying, it's been kind of a rough week. But let me give you a little backstory about this scripture. So in Exodus 13, they had just been released out of the house of bondage, out of Egypt. They were in Egypt for 430 years. Years. So imagine your entire life being in slavery. You thought being in your crib and you couldn't get out was slavery. They were in slavery their whole entire life. So 430 years, they're in slavery. And the Lord says that he, he's going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. How many of you ever got a promise from God? So I got a lot of promises from God. And sometimes it doesn't look like they're going to happen because I think, like, this is the time frame that's going to happen. So, like, by this time, I'm going to have this. By this time, I'm going to have this. And I'm like, God, what you, you, said, that, you said that this was going to happen by then, man. I don't even have, like, come on. I don't even have a part of it, you know. And so I feel like the Israelites were in this situation. They were in that. And they were like, man, you promised me a land of flowing milk and honey. Where is it? It's been 430 years. So finally, Pharaoh releases them. And the very first thing Moses said to the people was says, remember this day. I think that that is something that we all need to do in our own lives. Is we need to remember the day we were saved. We need to remember the day that he brought us out of bondage. We need to remember the day that he set us free from depression and anxiety. Because when those things creep back up, what do you have? You have the memory of this is when it happened so I know he can do it again. This is when he brought me out of this thing so I know he can take me into the next thing. And so the Israelites were promised a land flowing with milk and honey. And so they think that it's going to happen right away. So we go to Exodus 13, uh, verse 8 and 9. And it says, And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. And so basically what God is saying is that this, this right here is going to be a reminder. It's going to be something that we can tell our children later. So I believe that the Lord might tell us to do something right now that might not look like we're supposed, it might not look like we're going to see it soon. But I think that the Lord may tell us to do something to set someone up for his glory. 
So we're going to do something. What you do now, what you obey now is going to affect the next generation. So what you do now is going to affect your kids. What your grandparents did, what your great-grandparents did, that affects you even if you don't see it. So what you do now, what you listen to, what you obey now, you're going to see that in your kids later. You're going to see that in your grandchildren later. And so I believe that the Lord might tell you to do something that might not seem like a good idea now, but it's going to affect the next generation. So, sorry, I'm just kind of like going. I'm trying to get this as quick as possible. So I hope you're getting something. If not, hopefully you get something from someone else. Um, let's go to Exodus 13, 17. I'm getting there. So it says, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Keep that in mind. Although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. So these promises that we think we're going to step into right away, right? Let's say, I, I can just see the Israelites standing here, right? Land of, uh, of milk and honey is right over there. It's just right there. You can see it. Looks real good. So in your mind, it's like, oh, let's just go to the land of flowing milk and honey, right? You're just going to walk straight to it. But what are you going to do when the Lord says, all right, here you are. Here's your destination. But I need you to go this way. Here's the land of flowing milk and honey. Here it is right here. I can see it. It's right there. It looks real good. It looks real promising. But the Lord doesn't say, hey, just step right over. He says, I need you to go this way. I don't think that the Lord is looking for people that can get to their purpose quickly. I think he's looking for people that can be obedient in what he's saying to do. And so you might see yourself, oh, there's the land. There it is. I'm going to go get it. There's, there's my girl. There's my wife. That's going to be my husband. Oh, that's the church I'm supposed to be at. That's my position right there. And the Lord says, no, I need you to go to this church where there's only 50 people. I need you to go to this church where there's only 10 people. It's just starting up. But, but I just got offered the worship pastor position at Trinity Church. There's like thousands, there's thousands of people there. I need to, that's, that's where I'm supposed to be, God. That's where I'm supposed to be. And he says, no, nah, I need you to come over here. I need you to serve over here. So he's not looking for people who can get to their destination quickly. He's looking for people that can do it obediently. So how many of you have ever been in a wilderness position? You just seem like it's, everything is dry. You have no way out. It's like, man, like all this stuff is happening. Oh, where is the land of milk and honey? I need it. And it's right there, but you can't get it yet. So you feel like you're in a wilderness. You're in this position where it's like, man, I'm in a drought right now. This thing is super dry. I don't know where to go. I'm not getting, Lord, I haven't heard from you in forever. Where are you? I think that the Lord is more concerned about the process than he is about you getting to where you actually need to go. I think that there are parts of, obviously he really wants you to get there. He wants you to get to your purpose. But I believe that his his main goal is the process, because if you can trust him in the process, then it's, it's that easy. But, but I think that our process might have us questioning our purpose, and it might have you questioning, like, God, this is what I was, what's it looking like? Where am I supposed to be? And the process might have you questioning your purpose, but if you know who has your promise, you, you know who has your purpose, then you can have peace in the process, even if there's struggle. So in the midst of the wilderness, you can find peace in your process because the Bible never said that we go from glory to wilderness to glory. It never said we go from, from glory to drought to pain, suffering, anxiety, depression to glory. 
does it say? It says we go from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. And that little drought, that little wilderness in the middle, that is where he tests your faithfulness and your obedience to him. And I believe that that little drought in the middle is always going to set us up for a greater glory on the other end. So it's like we have this glory and it's real good. And then it's like, man, God, where are you? And it's like, whoa, that's crazy. How'd you do that? Over here you did this and that was real good, but this is even better, you know? So you're going to go from glory to glory. So Exodus 14, I'm going to try and skip a little bit. I got like three and a half minutes. So <clears throat> Exodus 14, 1 through 4. So basically the Lord is basically saying, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue you. He's going to pursue the Israelites. So God puts them in a situation he leads them to the Red Sea. So he goes to the Red Sea, right? So here's the Red Sea. Here's the Israelites. And the enemy's back here. And so they need to get out. They need to go. The enemy, though literally God says he's going to harden the hearts of Pharaoh so that he attacks the Israelites. He's going to chase them. So the Egyptians, the Pharaoh, he gets all the, the chariots, the horsemen, the soldiers. So I can see them just like, here are the Israelites right here. And they're like, yep, they're coming. That's it. This is it. I'm over. This is, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm done. The, God, you have me for a while, but I'm going to die. I'm going to die right here, right now. And it says that the Israelites start to question Moses. And they're like, Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt when you, what, what, what was it? Did you just bring us out here because there were no graves in there? It literally says, and they're questioning Moses. They're like, man, you brought us out in the wilderness so we could die here, didn't you? You brought us out of that place where we had comfort even though we were in slavery, we had food. We had a place to sleep. We had enough. We had everything we needed there. Yeah, we were in slavery, but man, that was so much better than being in the wilderness. And so I think that us getting to this next place, God calling us out of bondage, taking us to this next place, I think that a lot of times when we get there, we're questioning God. Like, yo, why did you bring me out of that place if you were just going to take me here where it's even worse? Have you ever been in those situations where it's like, man, I was, I mean, it, that relationship was, it was good. It wasn't bad. Like I wasn't, it wasn't too bad, but, but now I'm here, I'm single, I'm broke. I ain't got nothing, but this is where God wants you to be. And you're questioning God and you're saying, God, why, why are we in this, in this situation? And so then I got a minute and a half. I'm gonna get there quick. I promise. So they get up to the Red Sea, right? They turn around. It says they went out with boldness at the beginning, and then they started questioning God. So it went from boldness to doubt. And so they're afraid, and they're like, man, we're about to die. Moses, you did this to us. We're going to die right here. And then it says Moses started praying to the Lord. He started crying out to God, and he started crying out. And then God said, raise your staff, and the Red Sea is going to split. And so a lot of times I feel like we're always praying. We're constantly interceding for this one thing. And God's saying, shut up. I don't want to hear you pray right now. I need you to move to action. Stop worrying about what I'm doing and do what I ask you to do. And so I think a lot of times we can sit there and we're like, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. He's like, you already have it. You just got to get it. You got to grab it. It's like, man, I'm still hurt. I'm still healing from this. I'm still sick. I need that. He's like, I already paid for that on the cross. Why are you still worrying about that? I just need you to grab it. I need you to get it. And so it says that Moses stretched out his hand over the rod and the Red Sea split, right? So the Red Sea splits, and this is my last verse. I have like 30 seconds. Oh, my gosh. Exodus 14, 21 and 22. 
This is what it says. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So this is my last thing. I think a lot of times we get to the Red Sea, and it's like, man, this is the very thing that is stopping me from getting to my destination. This is the thing that's stopping me from getting to my purpose. And it says that the sea became a wall on their right and on their left. The very thing that God used that looked like the enemy, it looked like it was stopping you, is the very thing that was now protecting you on your right and on your left. So that thing that you thought was stopping you from getting to your destination is actually the thing that's going to protect you when you're walking into your destination. So if I can leave you with anything, it's this right here. The wilderness is not a place where you're just struggling, and it's not a place that, that is bad. It's not the wrong place. I think it's actually the right place that you need to be in because that wilderness place is the place where God tests your obedience, your faithfulness, and his trust in you. So if you're in that place, just remember that that is the moment where God is wanting to know, are you going to be faithful in this? Are you going to be faithful in this situation? Because I, I really need you right here. So that's all I got. I hope you all got something out of that. I didn't realize 12 minutes was so short. Oh, my gosh. Amen, Chris. Amen. That was really good. All right. So I'm just going to jump in. Uh, so my beautiful, gorgeous wife right here on the front row, as of this month, we have been married for four years. Four years. And uh, every time your anniversary comes around, it starts, to get, it starts me thinking about my vows and what I said to my wife. And, oh, we didn't use the traditional wedding vows, but here's some of the traditional wedding vows that's in the, the uh, kind of everybody hears them. It says, I, you know, you say your name, take you, the name, to be my lawfully wedded wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. And these vows got me thinking about God. And the t title of my sermon is For Better or For Worse. And so we're going to get in and talk about this relationship with God and what it means to really serve God for better or for worse. And uh, my first point is that God already chose you. You know, first John, in uh, John 3.16, everybody knows this verse. If you've been in church, you've heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God already chose you. He already said, I want you. He picked you out and said, I love you, and I will love you for better or for worse. If we look at the Bible, it, even, it goes even further. It says, God's not just going to love you when you're good, right? He didn't just choose you when you were clean and shiny and going to church and dressed with your suit and all clean and nice and like, oh, yeah, God, I love you. No, God said, I love you no matter what. I love you when it's dirty. I love you when it's messy. I love you in the good, but I love you also in the bad. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, says that, got to flip there. I haven't bookmarked, I promise. <laughs> Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, when you were still in the middle of the sin, in the middle of the muck, in the middle of the mud, God said, that is when I died for you. Before you ever cleaned yourself up, before you ever did anything, before you ever tried, even tried to look good, before you ever tried to do anything, before you even cared about me, that is when I died for you. That is the love that God has for you. That is the deepness, the desire that God has for you. So when God says, for better or for worse, he means it. Absolutely. At any point, at every point. So now, we must choose God. Right? That's the other side of this. Vows go both ways, right? When you go into a wedding, both the groom and the bride have vows. They both say it. So now, it's our turn to choose God. When we come to Christ, we get to choose him. In Hebrews chapter 4, or no, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, it says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And this question came up into my head, are we going to love God when it's bad? And are we going to love God when it's good? Are we going to choose God when it's good and when it's bad? You know, as a Christian, we say, I love you, God. But we're going to say that, and it's, sometimes it's easy to say it when it's good, right? When things are so good, it's easy to say it. God, I love you. God, you're blessing me. God, you've given me this house. God, you've given me this place to live. You've given me this car. I, you've got this great job that I enjoy. It's good when, that, when it's like that. But at the same time, it's, sometimes it's easier to say it when it's bad, too, right? I ask this question, is it easier when, to say we love God when it's good or when it's bad? When it's bad, we call out to God and say, God, I need you. And when it's good, we say, thank you, God. But on the flip side, when it's bad, sometimes people turn and blame God. Chris said it in the verses of Moses. They were crying out saying, why, God? Why did you do this to me? We blame God. But on the other side, sometimes we forget that the blessings are not us, it's God. The job you have, God gave that to you. The breath in your lungs, God gave that to you. Your love for your job, God gave you that love. That was all God. So we have to remember that when it's good and when it's bad, to love God. And it goes, we're going to go to uh, John chapter 15. Verses 13, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. No matter what, the greatest love, like this is verses saying that the greatest love is when you will give up your life for your friends. Well, Christ already did that. He died on the cross for you. Now the question is, how are we going to do that for God? Are we willing to give everything that we have to God? Our comfort, our safety, our security, our peace, our joy, and give that to God. Because if we give what we think is our peace to God, he will give us an even greater peace. If we give our stability to God, he'll give us even greater. If we give what we think that we need to God, he's going to give it right back to us in tenfold. 
He gives us so much more than we could ever give back. But we have to be willing to give God that kind of love. The greatest love is the one who gives up his life. Now, there are people who are in the Christian church who are martyrs for Christ, right? They go and they go to foreign countries, and by serving Christ, they end up losing their lives. And maybe that's a call that God has on someone's life. And maybe that might be one of us someday. But even if it's not, we still have the option and the peace and the joy to be able to give our lives for God. And the question is, what does that look like? What does that mean? We're going to go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Guys, every moment of your life can be a sacrifice to God. Every action you take, every choice you make can be a sacrifice to God. If you go up to your coworker and they're telling a joke, it's your choice to laugh. If it's not a, laugh, if it's not a joke that you should be laughing at, if it's not a joke that God would laugh at, you have a choice. Do you laugh or do you not? It's even the little, tiny little choices. What outfit am I going to wear today? Am I going to look so good that a girl's going to want to hit on me? Is that choice going to go through my head when I wake up in the morning? <laughs> or am I going to choose God? I'm going to glorify you with everything. I can look good for my wife. But am I going to look good for someone else? Amen. Am I going to go and I'm going to eat all this food? You know? <laughs> I'm going to go to lunch, and instead of making my own lunch at home and taking it to work, I'm going to decide, oh, well, I'm just going to go out to eat with the guys, and I'm going to spend this money. Well, maybe that's not what money I was supposed to spend. Every choice you make is a sacrifice to God. Everything you do, everything you say, everything you think is a sacrifice to God. Your life is a living sacrifice. It's saying to make it a living sacrifice. And that may be hard. You may have to give up some things. You may have to give up some comfort. You may have to give up some stuff. But God says, I love you so much. I already gave up everything I could give up. I gave up my dignity. I gave up my, my place on this earth. I gave up my life for you. He died the most gruesome, painful death that we could imagine for us, and sometimes we don't even want to give up our comfort. And it's tough, and it's hard, but that's the reality of it, is this choice needs to come down to us and God and saying, okay, God, I love you, and I love your calling, and I love your purpose more than I love my comfort, more than I love what I do, more than I love anything. And my wife and I, we have been through some of the hardest four years of our lives. When we got married, we had nothing. We had a few jobs that were all part-time, and then we lost one of them. And so now we've got this apartment that we're supposed to pay for, and we have barely enough money to get through. And we, we were sitting there every single month wondering, God, where is my provision coming from? And I'm sitting there stressing every single month, God, I don't know how this is going to get paid. I don't know how the electricity is going to get paid. I don't know how I'm going to eat this month. 
And every single month, God provided. Every single month, money came in. And sometimes, I don't even know where it came from. There are times that money just showed up in my account, and I was able to pay the bills. God provided every single time. And it was because my wife reminded me every month, God's got this, and said, okay. And our decision to marry each other and our decision to, to live life together was a, a purpose that God drove in. People told us, don't get married. You don't have things set up. You're not ready. You don't have money. You don't have this. You don't have that. And they were right, but God provided. And then people told us, man, you need to be, wait till you get pregnant. Wait till you have our baby. And my beautiful baby girl, who's 10 months this month, is in the nursery right now, probably sleeping. We got pregnant with her, and we didn't know what we were going to do. I was working two part-time jobs, barely scraping by enough money to make it. We were living with her mom at the time. And within the nine months of her being pregnant, I got a full-time job. We got into our own place, and God provided everything we ever needed. God provided the money for the midwives. God provided everything that we needed for that. Guys, when you make your life a sacrifice to God, and you say, God, I'm willing to follow you even if it's difficult, even if I don't know what's going to happen, even if I don't understand it, I'm going to choose you, and I'm going to sacrifice my happiness and my security for you, God's going to provide. So the big question, the big push is, how are we going to do it? Just make the commitment. It's a commitment. Marriage is a commitment. The vows are a commitment, saying, God, I'm going to choose you no matter what. And that's what it is. Just make it. Say, God, I'm going to choose you. And then make that same commitment every single morning. Wake up and say, okay, God, I choose you. I love you. No matter if today's going to be good or if it's bad, no matter if I'm sick or if I'm well, no matter if I've got money or I don't, I'm going to choose you. And I'm going to be okay with whatever I get. That's what it is. Thank you. Good morning, y'all. I'm scared. I'm not going to lie. All right. Pastor Chris, I want to thank you for this amazing opportunity that you've given me, Richard, and Chris. Because if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be up here being able to share a piece of our hearts. I want to thank my family for uh, supporting me through all my friends. All y'all love y'all. And I want to thank Jesus because he brought me here. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here today. So shout out to all y'all, love all y'all. Okay, hold on one second. If it sounds like I'm gonna cry, I'm probably not, I'm probably just shaking, so don't worry about me too much. All right, this is really cool because just what Richard was talking about, he was talking about how it is a choice. When you decide to be for Jesus, you are either all in or you're not. And that's kind of what brings my message today. I'm going to be speaking about compromise. I couldn't think of like a very cool like title or anything like that, but pretty much the title that I came up with this morning, I was like, we are not men and women of compromise, okay? So I just want to give like a really quick backstory because I only have 12 minutes and I want to make it fast. Um, in 2017, around November, December, I was praying for like to God, and I was like, God, I want a theme for 2018 that I can live by. I want you to give me a word, something I can live by every single day, something I can become better at every single day. 
was praying for it, whatever. I had a dream. It was a creepy dream, y'all. Um, in the dream, I was doing things that uh, I used to do when Jesus wasn't first in my life. And, um, but in my dream, when I was doing these things, I'm like, God, why am I doing these things? Like, I don't want to be doing these things. Like, this is not who I am. And there was other people, very important people in my life, that were also doing things that they've never done, that they'll never do. But it, it, was, it was like a big dream of compromise. And um, anyways, I talked to my friend about it, and she was like, Angelica, I think I know what that means because I've been praying for you. God's been having you on my heart, whatever. And um, she was like, God gave me a word, and he wanted me to tell you that you are not a woman of compromise. And the other people in your dream, those are his people too. And he's saying that we are no longer going to be people of compromise, all right? So if y'all don't know what compromise means, I got, a f I got two really good, like, um, Okay, so I got a definition off of Google. Shout out to Google because these definitions are good. <laughs> All right. So the first one is compromise is a verb. It is to accept, accept standards that are lower than desirable. Can y'all think of a time that y'all compromise in a decision? Can any of y'all write? And to think, and look, let's change it a little bit. I'm going to change it a little bit. It's going to be we accepted standards that were lower than what God desired of us. Think about that, it's kind of like, dang, I can't believe I did that. And then, okay, then there's a second part, there's like a second little like definition. Compromise can cause us to become vulnerable and function less effectively. So when we compromise, not only are we doing less than what God desires of us, we are no longer as effective as what he has created us to be for the kingdom. So, y'all, this, ooh. All right, here we go. We're not called to compromise. God has set high standards for us because he knows what we are capable of. It's not so that when we mess up, he's like, ha, ha, like you couldn't do it. No, 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 no. He made these standards that he desires for us because he knows what we're capable of. He has created us in his image, and I'm not sure what, I didn't like get the verse, but like, we're called to be imitators of Christ. And uh, Jesus lived a perfect life. He never messed up, he never did nothing. He did, he was A, A1. And um, none of us are perfect, I'm not perfect, no one in here is perfect, but if we're called to be imitators of Christ, that's what we should try and live up to each and every single day, because we made this commitment to him then we should try our best, you know? All right. So the verses I'm going to be hitting off today is going to be Galatians 6, 7 through 9. So go ahead, turn on the Bibles, open the Bibles, because this is good stuff right here. Well, I think it is. It's all good, but. Okay, so I'm going to start off. I'm going to break down uh, each verse, and I'm going to speak about it a little bit, and then there's a, a quick little video at the end that I'm going to show so if y'all don't understand, like, what I'm saying, if I'm going too fast, then the end is going to show us, like, okay. You already know, man. I just want to say so much, but I'm just like, ah. Okay. The first verse goes like this. Do not, wait, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. The first part, let's break it down. Do not be deceived. He's talking to us. God is not mocked. The first thing I thought of that, like, we can't play God. And by God, like, like when I say, like, play God, like, we're not trying to act like him. But we can't trick him. 
He sees our each and every move. Like, he, he gave us the free will, but he knows what we're going to do. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, I think of it like this. Like a mom, she's in the kitchen. Her son's playing in the kitchen, whatever. And she's about to cook some, you know, something on the tamale. The stove's hot. And she's like, hey, get out of here. Don't touch the stove. You're going to get burned, right? So right there we see this. She sets, stand, like, standards that she desires for her son. Why? Because she doesn't want him to get burnt by the stove. Make sense? Just like God, he sets standards for us each in the, in the word of God. And he sets them for us because he knows we're capable of it, but he also knows if we don't follow those standards that there will be repercussion. So then I see, this, I see the boy after the mom says, hey, don't touch the stove, don't touch the stove. He's like, ha, whatever, don't touch the stove. Psst. What happens? He got burnt. Duh. What happens, hey, what happens when you get burnt? Your hand hurts, and you can't pick up things the same way you could before. So your hand becomes what? Less effective. Just like with God, these standards that he sets are for a reason. When we don't hit those standards, when we choose to make a decision that's less than what God, you know, thinks of us so, like, it causes us to be less effective for the kingdom of God. All right, let's keep going. Yeah, my mouth is dry. <laughs> okay, verse 8. 8 is my favorite number, so this right here, y'all, you already know. This is my verse right here. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows of the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. It's plain and simple. It's what it says. When we choose to compromise rather than to do what God desires, we're going to get our own results. It's plain, like when we do what we want, we're going to get our own results. But when we choose the desires that God has for us that he knows we're capable of, then we get God results. We get kingdom results. And I think uh, in real, I, something that came to my mind was like relationships. Um, CF and I talked about all the time, brides for the nations, whatever. And... Um, Obviously not. I graduated and not married. <laughs> hey. <laughs> but uh, y'all, they would always talk about and tell us, if you're asking, say you're, you and your little boyfriend, girlfriend, if you're asking, is this too far? Is, is, what's too far? That's not a question you should be even asking. The Bible says, flee from sexual immorality. Why are you trying to compromise with it? Make sense? Because when you start to compromise with little things like that, hand-holding leads to kissing, leads to hugging, leads to more, you know what I'm saying? It just keeps going. Ooh, thank you. I talk too much. But, um, yeah, so when we start to compromise with little things, then we start allowing ourselves to compromise with more things. I'm 21, I can have a drink. I'm 21, I, I can have two drinks. It's just, uh, what is it called when they, like, oh, I just drink to uh, social drinking. It's just social drinking. Oh, but every time you go out, now you need a drink because you started small compromising with the word of God. You started small compromising with your faith. And uh, last, last verse I'm about to hit because I have three minutes in my video. I'm going to show you guys like three minutes. So, uh, <laughs> sorry. Y'all going to have to wait for those paletas out there. Last verse, y'all. 
This is the verse because the other ones, it's like, oh, God is always telling me what I can't do. I can't compromise. Blah, blah, blah. But check this verse out. It says, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, for in due season, for in God's time, we shall reap if we do not lose hearts. Yeah, he just promised us all we got to do is what he says. And then in his time, we're going to reap the harvest. And I don't know about y'all, but I'd rather reap the harvest that God has for me than what this world has for me. You know what I'm saying? This world only offers temporary things. Our God offers everlasting things, okay? So I want to finish it off with a clip. I don't know if any of y'all seen Courageous, but it's an amazing movie. This is my favorite part of the movie. It's with the guy Javier, and uh, y'all are going to see it. But he is tempted to compromise his integrity at his workplace. And Javier and his wife, they've gone through struggles. They've gone through it all. They've had nothing, and now he has a good job. But now he's being offered an even better job. But in order to get this job, he has to lie and compromise his faith. So I want you to check out what Javier does and how God rewards him. So, yeah, guys. Like Chris said, there's a promise that God has for us. Like Richard said, we have to stay committed, fully committed, with no compromise. So, and yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you.